last year, especially, is there's more and more people that are doing seller financing as a business where they're going out and acquiring properties and then selling them on terms. Maybe they're doing a wrap, whatever they're doing, but they're doing it more as a business. And so a lot of those guys are looking to sell their notes so that they can turn their capital around and, uh, and keep doing it, which is perfect for us. And we're more than happy to participate with them and help them cash them out. As always, subscribe and click the notification bell on our YouTube channel. Be active on our Facebook group, East Coast Distressed Note Investing. And be sure to go to our website for all your note investing tools, resources, and available assets. If you have any questions, email us at tradedesk at jkpholdings.com. Hey everyone, Dave Putz here. Good afternoon. I'm joined, as always, with Mr. Turner. Hello, you, Nathan. Hello. How are you this Friday afternoon? It's been a, a fun week. I think things have been progressively forward with some of the stuff we're doing internally. Um, I'm looking forward to the coming weeks. Some stuff's been really happening on our side. And I haven't even told you yet about since you've been off the grid hiding from me uh, yeah. for the last couple of days. Uh, tell us about that. Where were you at for the last couple of days? I've been haunting you down. I had a great time. So I get to take advantage of Canadian holidays and U.S. holidays. So it was great. So Friday, um, Friday was normal. But then anyway, we went out uh, on Tuesday. So July 4th, started out with a camping trip, started with whitewater rafting uh, in the Canadian Rockies. And man, that's fun. If you've never been, I highly recommend it. It's just a ton of fun. Um, went out with uh, with our church group and did that first and then just in the mountains, no cell service, no anything. So it's just wow. completely off the grid, gorgeous surroundings. Really, really nice. I'm a little, I got a little bit of color, I think. So looking good. <laughs> oh man. I, I'm a little jealous of you. We've been having about 90 degree weather here in Jersey for the last week. Oh yeah. With just random scattered thunderstorms out of nowhere, like Florida weather. Um, yeah, we just skipped the rain. So we're okay. Oh, that you're lucky. So it's amazing that, you know, what we've been talking about lately has incorporated more and more of this idea of having owner finance people and yeah. note buyers merging. We're doing this more and more. So if you guys haven't tuned in recently to us, please go back, listen to the podcast, watch YouTube videos, because everything we've been doing lately has been outside the typical note buying space of the hedge funds. These hedge funds are buying and selling assets great, but it's hard to play with these assets that are at three and four, five yeah. percent interest rates. We want to get into the nines and tens and elevens. And a lot of people reach out to me, even this past week, saying, I'm buying these seller finance lists and doing mailers and got zero results. Yeah. And I challenge them to start talking to people. More and right. more, I think what we're finding is uh, I mean, seller financing has been around forever, for forever and ever. Um, but, uh, I, what well, I think we've seen in the last year, especially is there's more and more people that are doing seller financing as a business where they're going out and acquiring properties and then selling them on terms. Maybe they're doing a wrap, whatever they're doing, but they're doing it more as a business. And so a lot of those guys are looking to sell their notes so that they can turn their capital around and, uh, and keep doing it, which is perfect for us. And we're more than happy to participate with them and help them cash them out. Uh, but there's yeah. been some questions that have come up that we don't know. So we're, we're trying to figure out how, yeah. how it works and why it works and what we can do to make it better. 
And before we introduce Sean, uh, <laughs> Nick's comments on uh, Facebook, I don't know how to edit this feed, but he's been doing around for five, he said notes of seller finance have been around for 500 years. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. And Cindy said, hi, uh, Coleman, who's a regular on our program. So I was, this came out, I've heard, we've heard about buying partials, which we, I bought partials, I've sold partials, and I've heard about this thing, talk about this hypothecation versus note collateralization versus pledging a note. And I said, listen, I don't know enough about it. And as most of the time, when we don't know something about it, we run a webinar on it so we mm -hmm. can learn and you can learn alongside of us. Um, so this came out and what I found was I had a hard time finding an attorney who would A, talk about it and B, knew enough about it that felt confident about it. Um, even at the DME, some of the attorneys that said, eh, just not our bread and butter. Yeah. And it was difficult. But what do you, what we all know about no partials is this theory out there, and not a lot of people are doing it. Do you think it's because they just don't understand it? I think that's a big thing. Um, I know that was the case for me for a long time. Now that I've gotten a better understanding, just with the setup that I have, it's difficult for me to get a deal done. Uh, but it, it makes a lot of sense. And especially when you're dealing with your own cash, it makes a ton of sense. It's a really great way to get some really juicy returns. Um, but again, it's still relatively unknown. And, and a lot of people just don't know how it works or if it works and all that kind of thing. So that we're, we're hoping to kind of learn more about it ourselves and help other people learn about it as well. It's Absolutely. a great strategy um, in, in most circumstances. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So what we we talk about in our space is the buying of notes and the seller finds people are creating these things and they want to get their capital out. Yeah. We've been talking about buying wrapped notes. And then the, the headache of it was if we bought the wrapped note, what do you do with the underlying debt? How do you handle with the borrower? Um, and how do you take over the power of attorney part in the subject two? But these notes are rated, you know, created at 10, 11, 12% interest rates. Mm -hmm. I want to get my hands in some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And, right? and they've acquired the property for a low enough amount that they're not trying to squeeze out every dollar when they're selling the note, which is great news for us. That means we yeah. can jazz up those returns even more. So yeah, we're very excited about that and we want to do more, but we need to know all that we can so that we can do it correctly. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, uh, without further ado, and let our guests sitting there looking pretty, Sean, we appreciate it. Thank you for joining us this Friday afternoon. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been great. So we always start with a background. How did you get first started with doing attorney work as well as doing this type of attorney work, which is real specialty? Good question. I mean, my back, so I've been a, a realist. I've been an attorney 15 years. Started with a large law firm in Texas. I should say I'm a Texas licensed attorney. Uh, in Texas, doing representing title companies, builders, developers, buyers, sellers, banks, financial institutions, really anything in the financial world, in the real estate world. After a few years, I thought, you know, I gotta, I'm just gonna go out on my own and do this myself. So I ended up, I ended up starting a title company, and I ended up started my own law firm that specializes in real estate finance and corporate uh, legal work. And so uh, years ago, probably. 10 years ago, started really getting into this. I mean, as you guys noted, owner finance has been around a long time, subject to's, wraps. Um, it just wasn't understood. And to be 
candid that it had a pretty negative stereotype for a pretty long time. Um, but I've been doing them for at least 10 years. And, and then sort of that just evolved into note sales and assignments and hypothecations and, and you name it. And, and I touch it, so to speak. <laughs> Good. Interesting. Interesting. It's, it's funny to say all that, right? Because there's very few attorneys who A, do this type of work and B, understand the work confidently enough to talk about it. Now, we'll preface this with saying not everything we're going to ask today, we're going to get an answer on, right? There are some things that depends on your specific situation. And we don't want to try to get into specific deal structures today because it just with everyone on the feed and watching it and everything else. And then this will be recorded put on YouTube and it'll be on our podcast. So please go to the website and find the information. But we want to go over some of the generalities as best we can. Um, even on our private call, we've been having our weekly Wednesday call privately. The conversation about what the terms mean has been a little bit confusing, right? We all pretty much know what a note partial is, but for those who don't know, can you give a kind of a 30 second, what is a note partial? What happens in that kind of process? Who takes ownership of the note in that deal? Yeah, I mean, in, in, you know, this will be sort of the generalized version today. As, as you noted, everything is pretty specific. And, and my answers today are going to be specific to Texas law, since that's where I, I practice. But a note partial is essentially selling what exactly what it sounds like, a part of the note. You're selling a part of the payments, right? So if I want, if I'm selling 10% of the note and there's 300 payments left, then do the math. I'm selling those payments. And a note partial, I'm assigning not only the note and the lien in Texas, um, but that's the ownership, right? So that's the point of a note partial. Whether you're doing a full sale or a partial sale, I'm taking over ownership of those portion of the payments, uh, which is different than a hypothecation, which we can chat about here in a few minutes, but I'm selling a portion of the payments that are remaining on the, on the loan itself. And usually in the note, in the note purchase world, in the partial world, you usually see that be from anywhere from three years to five years, uh, but it just depends. And you said this, so that was an important thing you said in there, you're taking ownership of those payments for those, for that amount of time. Yeah, you're managing the note, right? So you're taking, you're taking ownership of it and managing the note. And whereas a hypothecation, I'm just, I'm just merely taking out a loan and using the note as collateral and I'm not taking ownership of the note. Okay. And that's an important distinction because that's, that's one of the first things that comes up is yeah. like, okay, who owns that note during that partial time? Is it, you know, the original note holder or is it this new partial note holder and, you know, who's in charge and what happens if there's a default is usually how that question comes out. Then what? Yeah, I mean, and those, that's where you start to get really specific in, in any sort of, in any actual note sale or assignment of the note and the lien itself, right? Because you get into the types of representations are, you know, how limited are the representations and warranties in the assignment? What's the scale of them? Is it, re, is it with recourse? Is it without recourse? So there's a lot of really, really specific things that need to occur in a note sale um, that, that, and an experienced attorney needs to address or somebody that's, that's experienced in note sales need to address because you can really tailor them however you however you want. Yeah, and that, that's one thing actually. So from what I've seen, and again, I, I haven't bought or sold any partials, but I've been around them a lot. Um, this can, like it can vary from sale to sale. So in this case, you're taking over and the new partial owner is in charge of whatever. 
if something goes wrong, then they're in charge. I've seen it the other way as well, where the it flips back to the original note holder in case of default. I mean, I, I, you can kind of tailor it, like you said, right? You can really tailor just about any way you want. I mean, there are certain statutory warranties under the Texas Business and Commerce Code that are included unless you disclaim those warranties in an assignment of the note and the lien itself. Um, so outside those statutory warranties, which there's only about five, uh, you can create or disclaim or modify it however you wish. And that's where it becomes, that's that's where you see a change in the value uh, in the purchase price of notes, right? If I'm if I'm purchasing with a with with an indemnity provision because the signer or the seller of the note wants an indemnity provision, um, if I'm if I'm the buy note buyer, the assignee or the assignee, and I want multiple representations and warranties, it's going to affect the price of the note, and that's why I think note purchases, note sales are so hyper specific that they're going to depend on your transaction because ultimately the representations, the warranties are tied to, in my opinion, the price. Right. So um, if you have a unsecured note or if you have a in, in Texas, we have negotiable instruments and we have non-negotiable instruments. So I can have a note that's not a negotiable instrument under the Texas Business and Commerce Code. Those are going to be deeply discounted notes. Um, if it is a negotiable instrument sat under the Texas Business and Commerce Code, you're probably going to pay a little bit higher on the value of the note. So there's so many factors in determining the price to pay for the note and what type of representations and warranties you get. So when we talk about these no partials, and I love Nathan pointed out the fact that the ownership is what is everything in a no partial, but it's also the negative for a lot of people, right? They don't want to deal with the situation where they have to do the foreclosure process. Mm -hmm. Some sellers will buy you out. Some won't. It depends on the structure of the contract. And if it don't buy you out, if it's, even if you understand the note space and you've done foreclosures like me and Nathan have done for years. If I'm doing with a Roth IRA and I got six grand, I buy $6,000 worth of a note parts from Nathan and anything starts foreclosure and he didn't agree to buy it back. I'm in a bad spot now. I got to either lend money to my IRA or do some finagling where that becomes a problem. And if I'm a note seller and Nathan, you know, sells to his grandmother who doesn't want to deal with anything. He has to either jump in or sell to a friend, and then he has to jump in. It becomes kind of problemsome. But some kind, some people say, "Listen, I want to take the control of it." Newer investors, IRA investors, typically want to be more passive and learn that process. So we're going to flip the script now, and we've heard words such as hypothecation, pledging a note, collateral assignment. Are they the same? Are they different? I mean, apothecation is just a is, is just a fancy word that uh, people throw out for saying using your note as collateral for a loan. I mean, right? That that's it's just the fancy way of saying I'm going to use this performing asset, this asset that's hopefully not in monetary or non-monetary default, and I'm going to go out and get an investor and get in a loan to use that note as collateral, and then I'm going to take the cash or the the loan. I'm going to start making the payments to the lender. And I'm still going to keep ownership of the of the note, and I'm going to keep getting payments. And you hope that the payments are relatively even, right? In this traditional hypothecation, they're pretty close. Um, but you can have a higher payment on your on your hypothecation or your loan, or a lesser payment in the actual income stream that you're bringing in for the note. Uh, so it really just depends on how what you work out with the investor that's going to use your note as collateral. 
Would you say hypothecation is similar to saying pledging your note and a collateralization and all that is the same? It's words? all really lumped together. I mean, okay. and it's all it's all similar. I mean, the concept is the same. I mean, the okay. underlying concept is that I'm using a performing asset, the note, as collateral to secure a loan. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. So when we, we talk about the differences, right? And then the pros of doing hypothecation side of the space is you don't own the note, right? If Nathan sells to me and I'm a new investor and he doesn't really want to deal with that problem going bad, he can sell me the, the payment string. It could be a year, could be 10 years. And it's really a loan against the note versus buying the note. And if it goes bad, Nathan can replace the note with a different note. He can keep paying you while he's foreclosing. It's really an IOU. Would that be accurate? Yeah, I mean, I, IOU is a legal term, David. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> but no, but you're right, though. In a in a typical hypothecation or a loan, you you have a few different ways that they're taken, but one of them would be substituting collateral. Right. So I could go out in theory, substitute additional collateral or new collateral uh, with the lender on the note that was originally pledged if it ends up being not performing. It's and then so, so what are the pitfalls then? Like, why why doesn't everybody do hypothecation versus just selling a partial? It's a, I mean, at the end of the day, right, I mean, it's all a numbers game, right? I mean, what what is the interest rate that you're going to pay? For the the lender, the investor that's going to collateralize against your note, uh, versus what's the sale? When you know how much money are you getting up front on the sale? Um, are you keeping the asset? I mean, it's all boils down to me for me to numbers because legally you can structure out one of them. I mean, you can collateralize a note, you can do a partial note sale. Um, once you get into the nitty gritty of the documents, the assignments, where you start dealing with the representations, the warranties, that's that's a that's a pretty important thing. Why you, that's one of the reasons you need an attorney. But for me, it's always a numbers game. Um, do you know? Do you know what the hypothecation of usury law comes into play here? Where the you know the the maximum you can charge interest rate does that come into play with the hypothecation where the partials that there isn't any ruling. Well, you do. You always have to be conscious of the usury laws, right? I mean, if you have a note that's usurious, then it could be considered illegal. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and, and certainly in Texas, uh, you've got to pay attention to that. So, I would, I would even argue that if I go out and I loan you, uh, I want to, I give you an, an, a loan to, and I collateralize your note, and I'm charging twenty five percent interest, that could be usurious, in my opinion. So, you have to be conscious of that in any time an interest rate is taken out, because you don't want um, the 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 collateralization against the note that brings up another point as to what's the lender going to ask for right what type of documents are they going to have are they going to have a note for your note right are they going to have a loan agreement and if so what's the interest rate going to be in there so you still have to comply with the usury laws so you said loan agreement versus note I'm presuming that is the same documentation or is that different no, they're different. And so I should have said this at the start of the podcast, but the presumption here, and when we when we talk about note sales, when we talk about hypothecation, um, everything that I'm talking about is based on the assumption that there is no separate loan, loan agreement that was done with the underlying note. Because, and I'll give you an example, in, in the commercial world, for uh, in the commercial world, you have not only notes, but you have loan agreements, right? They're two, two different documents. And in the loan agreements are rather restrictive on what you can or cannot do. So in the commercial world, 
you you will have loan agreements that lay out items like this note can't be sold. It, you know, and so you have to you have to read those. So when we're today for the purposes of this discussion, when we're talking about note partials, note hypothecation, it's on the assumption for me that there is no separate loan agreement that's been signed with the underlying note. It's a standalone note. And generally on owner finance transactions, wraps, um, a basic note. Uh, there isn't a separate loan agreement. You'll see loan agreements signed up for sure on commercial transactions and possibly if there's been some sort of construction loan that was taken out, um, but you don't usually see those in wraps, seller finance transactions. You don't have a separate loan agreement. Awesome. So one of the things we wanted to talk about too is in addition to this is the idea of, and there's a question about tax repercussions. I would talk tell you to talk to a CPA about any of the tax part of this um, we're going to stay part. We're going to stay focused on the legal side of it. Um, but I appreciate your question, Susan. Um, when we talk about this stuff, too, one of the things that me and Nathan came up with this concern is: could you technically sell me hypothecation on a note and then hypothecate again with Nathan without me knowing? It depends on the underlying agreement, right? I mean, it depends on the note. I mean, that's why the preparation of the documents is so critically important because what the documents are going to control, the note is going to control. <laughs> Right. Um, the assignment's going to control. So you have to, it all goes back to the documents, what they say, what they allow, what they don't allow, um, because they can be tailored in a, in a certain way. So since we're keeping this in a, in a high level general discussion, I will say it's going to depend on the documents that are drafted and, and created. And, and I will, I will add that part of my concern as an attorney has always been um, the drafting of the documents. I've seen the most ridiculous uh, notes. I've seen the most ridiculous assignments, transfers um, that, arguably, in my opinion, aren't even valid under Texas law. So, uh, wow. I would. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go right back to, and I'm not trying to pitch attorneys um, for business, but because you know, I like to help. But you got to have a turn. This is such a hyper specialty dealing with the Texas Business and Commerce Code, dealing with these certain federal laws that you got to have an attorney draft the underlying note and the assignment. Um, well, you know, that actually it goes back to what David was saying at the beginning. Like, we had a hard time finding somebody that could come on and talk about this. It's not just any attorney. Anybody, even the attorney that you're using foreclosures, for foreclosures, uh, may not know anything about this. Uh, so it is it is a niche within a niche within a niche. Like, this is... It, it really is. I mean, and I, I would... I would even say, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big believer in Thomas Jefferson's quote when he said, he who knows best knows how little he knows. I mean, I, I don't know everything there is to know about every aspect of law that I practice. And so you have to, to David's point, I mean, some of it really does depend and you have to stay updated and abreast of all the developments and changes in the laws. It's especially in an area like this or in real estate, frankly, just in general. Yeah. So I apologize for the feed. I realized that Zoom updated a thing and we can't pop out the chat, but some of the questions we came in regarding owned by retirement plans that they have to follow under the UDFI. We're going to let the, if you have a question about what retirement plans can or can't do, I would focus more on the those kind of people out there doing that kind of stuff. Um, we got Tim Harris is saying, showing your great uh, resource, uh, but Herb, I definitely would focus more on uh, the legal side, but I would definitely talk about that. Um, and I would say that Susan asked a question regarding uh, that she does a lot of these things. She, the difference is, has been the speed of the transaction as well as the costs. Mm -hmm. What do you say? You know, I'm going to ask give you some softball questions too. Is 
Uh, is anything part as collateral assignment recorded in the county records? That is easy. That's easy, an easy softball there. Uh, any any assignment uh, is going to need to be recorded in, in the property records because it, you not you don't you don't just want the note, right? You want the assignment of the lien, and which usually includes two liens: the vendor's lien and the and the deed of trust. So uh, yes, the assignment has, is going to be recorded. Needs to be signed by the assignor and the assignee. Um, and there are other items that you need to check off in the assignment. But to go back to our uh, my original point, you got to you have to understand what the representations and the warranties are going to be. And if there. you do a hypothecation, is there any assignment that's recorded on that? In uh, a hypothecation, uh, no, because I'm not assigning any sort of the ownership interest in the note and the lien. I'm just I'm. Now there may be a document, and generally there isn't, but there may be a document that the lender or investor wants to file a record, uh, an affidavit of some sort, but it's not required. And on the call, we talked about you know protecting the interest in the collateral hypothecation situation, and we mentioned the fact that someone had talked to me about, hey, to protect your interest, why don't you do some title clouding and just put a second lien there for hundred bucks? And I said that sounded good until you said no. No, I mean, you know, there's there are liens that you can file under the uh, Texas Constitution. And then there are also what we call slander of title actions. And any attorney worth his uh, worth his uh, hourly rate, um, if I found some hundred dollar bogus second lien filed of record, uh, I you could rest assured I could probably sue you for slander of title. Uh, if it wasn't valid, and I probably would win. So uh, not generally a good idea. Yeah. It's crazy, but I mean, this is what people are trying to find ways around it. Um, what do you suggest to those people who want that comfort level of it not being double hypothecated? Um, because you can sue them, right? It's, that's a good question, David, but it's sort of, it, it goes back to, I, I've, I've made this statement for God, be probably 15 years that I've been an attorney. The, the paper that you have, the document, the contract, the assignment, the deed, you know, it's always only worth the paper it's written on unless you're willing to sue, right? So, I mean, unless I'm willing to do something about it, it's not worth anything. So um, to your point, when you get in this area that the note sales, the hypothecation, you just have to be comfortable with there is risk associated with this area. Um, and you got to be comfortable with knowing that, okay, this is the document I have. This is what it says. An attorney drafted it. Worst case, I can sue over it. Mm -hmm. I have several causes of action that I might be able to sue to enforce and I'll do it. Um, but again, the paper's only, it's only worth the paper it's written on unless I'm willing to do something about it. And this this goes back to we we say this so many times and over and over and over again. It's all about relationships. Yeah. You know, know know your seller, know your buyer. Uh, when you've got that kind of a pre-existing relationship, man, that's going to help so many things. The yeah. biggest issue that that I see, you know, to hopefully this doesn't go off topic, but it's it's frankly it's the lack of diligence by uh, by note buyers. And when they come to me, they're like, "My God, Jeannie, Sean, I want to, I want to sue this person. I want to sue this person." And you know, and then I sort of ask some, some basic questions, like when they talk about the note. You know, um, did you, did the note have a promise? Did you look at the underlying note? Was it signed by the debtor? You know, did it have clear terms of repayment? Right? Was it demand or was it a fixed time? Did it have a usurious interest rate? Did was it an LLC? Did you check the LLC to if it's registered if it's registered to do business in the state of Texas? If not, it can't do business in the state of Texas. So 
was it a homestead property of the underlying note? If so, in Texas, the note has to be signed by the husband and the wife if they're married and the deed of trust, right? These are just diligent, like sort of common basic diligence items that need to be done by any note buyer or, or signee uh, in Texas, at least. And, well, I really, in the U.S., I would say. But. I didn't know Texas had the, the married couple clause in there. That's good to it's, know. Uh, it's a unique thing because, right, you, you have a, this property, how properties characterize separate property versus community property. Texas is a community property state, right? Okay. Um, but that's not what necessitates a, a, a spouse signing off on any sort of document, deed of trust or note. Um, the deed of trust, certainly, it's the fact that we have, we have what's called the homestead, right? So you're doing it to perfect the homestead interest in the property. You don't want later down the road that the original borrower on the note defaults on the note or files bankruptcy, you get into a bankruptcy and there's a challenge over the validity of the note and you get a creative attorney that says, hey, by the way, spouse didn't sign off on this mm -hmm. deed of trust. Therefore, the lien itself is invalid and the homestead interest isn't protected so or perfected. So uh, that's what it says. The homestead uh, concept is what requires the spouse to sign off. Yeah. Yeah, I need that so, in other states. I didn't know Texas. Interesting. So. Okay. One of the ways we thought about doing this, and you know, I didn't pitch this before you, is what to to protect the people. The risk I find with the hypothecation is a due diligence, making sure that if you bought this lien and you took it back, you can foreclose on it. The property's worth the value and everything else, but also the fact of protecting it from a buyer perspective. And my thoughts were, put the note, the mortgage, the whole collateral file, as well as the assignment. A mortgage in a lounge in escrow with the attorney or servicer to protect it from being resold and having escrow instructions to protect it. Would that help protect from hypothecating with multiple people? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I in theory, yes, right. But I mean, the it goes back to my statement a few seconds, a few minutes ago. It's only worth the paper it's written on unless you're willing to do something about it, right? Because putting these documents in escrow at a title company or your attorney's office or the servicer may not necessarily stop someone from going and trying to sell it again or hypothecate again, you know, against it or collateralize against the note itself. So um, while that all helps, I'm not discouraging having escrow instructions. I'm not discouraging having any of that. I'm just, what I'm saying is it's not going to stop really somebody unless that person has integrity and they go, well, geez, the document I signed says I can't do X, Y, Z, then I'm not going to do X, Y, Z. Sure. So to Nathan's point, it's all about relationships. It's about who you know. You want to do business with people that are going to respect the terms of your agreement. Mm -hmm. um, because if they don't respect the terms of the agreement, what do you do? You're going to have to sue them, right? And that's where attorneys like me just... We just love it, right? We we <laughs> love we love people that don't have integrity and don't follow the terms of their. <laughs> That's your bread and butter. So let's let's get into the fact of you know um, we want to write these agreements up, right? And we want to buy a lot of these kind of notes, right? How can we? Do we have to work with an attorney that's licensed in that state, or can we work with an attorney such as yourself to draft the general documents in purchasing this kind of asset in the escrow instructions? That's that is a great question. I mean, most attorneys are licensed as attorneys in their respective states, right? So I'm a Texas licensed attorney, 
uh, one of my business partners, he's a Texas and Georgia licensed attorney. So for me, I can draft documents in Texas, right? Um, could I, in theory, draft a general document? Yes, but um, the concern for attorneys is that it what passes in Texas may not pass in California, uh, and that could be considered malpractice. So, you know, as, as capable as I think I am, even in other states, I would tell somebody, hey, look, if you're going to go buy a note in California, use a California attorney. If you're going to go to Nebraska, use a Nebraska attorney. Because I can tell you there are a lot of attorneys that come to Texas uh, and try to draft these sort of general documents in Texas. And I look at them and go, geez, I mean, what on earth? And it's not even close because Texas is extremely strict. Um, and Texas is one of the more complex states legally. That's why our bar exam is one of the most difficult in the country because it's the laws are complex here. So you need to, as an attorney, you need to make sure you're not committing malpractice. So if you came, anybody that's on this call, I can do what you need in Texas. Um, but you would be best suited getting an attorney outside of Texas for whatever state, wherever, if the note, if the, the collateral is in Nebraska, then you probably want a Nebraska attorney to go look at it. If you're hypothesizing. You can say, is there a way to find attorneys like yourself? Is there a category that we should be looking up? Is there a, a network? <laughs> uh, you know, I've been asked that before. <laughs> and to my knowledge, there is not. Um, there's no database that I've ever found. Uh, there's no resource that I'm aware of as an attorney that would allow uh, any group of individuals to go find attorneys in other states. And, and I've not only been asked in this context, I've been asked in the creative financing con context. I mean, it's like every week. I mean, every week I'm getting a phone call. Hey, gee, Sean, you're great in Texas, but can can you do something in Florida for me? No, I can't draft a, a deed for you in Florida. Well, do you know anybody? No, I sure don't, right? Because it's such a hyper specific sphere this the note sales the apothecations creative financing sub twos wraps right i mean in every law is different i mean texas it's more difficult to do a wrap transaction and a subject to transaction than it is in arizona i mean arizona it's easy right and here got a few additional laws you got to follow so unfortunately similar to like texas you know land contracts are no no in texas right and a lot of the subject twos in the wrap notes that are created have come across as land contracts and CFDs. Um, that's just an example of Texas law that you can't create land contracts uh, in protection of everything. When we talk about this stuff, um, do you recommend someone to get a basic understanding of notes, the legal, a consultation with someone like yourself? What is the first step to someone who says, I wanna buy a hypothecation or sell one and I can I draft it? And would you represent both parties if both parties wanted to use you? Great questions as part of that. Uh, my first, the, the first suggestion I always give to anybody is, you know, go find an expert um, in your field. Like, I, I mean, I know, for example, that, um, you know, USA Home Partners, Nick, Nick is a, one of the ones we deal with. He, he does a heck of a lot of business in Texas, right? He's a great resource. So, if you're going to do something in Texas, go find somebody that's done the note sales. Go find the investor that does it. I mean, you guys, New Jersey. I don't, I don't know anybody yep. in New Jersey. I know you're an expert there. Yep. Right? So go find somebody like yourself that's a resource to go ask the question. Be, you know, let them be your mentor. The second thing I would say was to your point, you you, you got to have an attorney 
that knows what they're doing in this fear, right? Because I cannot stress enough how bad a poorly drafted note or a poorly drafted assignment could impact the validity, could impact the sale. Monetarily, it's a big deal, right? I mean, if somebody drafts a note and it's not considered a negotiable instrument in Texas and it's considered a non-negotiable note in Texas, you can just rest assured the value of that note's gonna drop by an exponential amount, right? So the second piece of the advice I would give is to, is to find an attorney that you can go have a quick consultation with. Yes, it might cost you a few hundred bucks, but I'll tell you what, it's worth the three, four, 500 bucks that you may pay now because you're gonna save that later, you know, getting sued for $15,000 cause you signed a, a full recourse note and you had no idea what that was, right? Um, or a non-recourse. So uh, that was my second suggestion would be to partner up with an attorney. And then the third is frankly, you just, you just gotta jump in. Mm -hmm. um, and it's to be it's, part of, part of groups like this, listen to podcasts like this, right? You guys do a great job of, of, of talking to people and help educating. And, and it's just at, at some point in time, then you just, you just dive right in. Yeah. And my, my experience is that most things are fixable. If, if there's some kind of like a, the note wasn't written correctly or something like that, or for example, this is years ago, but I, I bought land contracts in Texas and then just converted them over to a deed of trust. So it's fixable. It's not necessarily easy. It's not necessarily cheap, yeah. but you can do it. You can fix, I've always said you can fix just about anything. Yeah. Uh, but to your point, it, it, how much does that fixing cost you? Right. Yeah. So, you know, if you spend... $500 on the front end to make sure it's done right, then you might save yourself 50,000 on the back end. Um, even though it's fixable, uh, it's just, a, some people I think are afraid to put up money at, at first and that is a bit terrifying, but it, to me it's worth it, especially in this area. Yeah. Some people are asking for your contact information. Uh, in the chat, we have a, a link to just fill out. It's a form on our website. You'll get Sean information uh, regarding his partner in GIA in Georgia. Just fill the form out and he'll reach out to you and follow up with any kind of questions you got. Um, when we buy these kind of publications and um, it, it, another softball question, buy buy one year, can I go buy a second year? Um, another six grand next come around, can I keep doing it on the can same you, note? Can you keep buying partials or can you keep yeah. out, keep hypothecating loaning out? Um, yeah, on the same note. Can I hypothecate once and do it again and again? Right. Okay. So some people are saying, well, if I do sixth grade now, I, I'm done. No, you can do as many times as you want. Right. Um, but we yeah. really focus on the fact that this hypothecation versus this part, no partials, it depends on what kind of person you are, and what you're looking for. And then make sure you have the attorney in place to review the collateral, as well as review the document that you're signing regarding the transaction. Um, both part items need to be reviewed because if something happens, you make sure you're got, you're backed up. Um, and understand what a partial is in regarding to the schedule, if the buyer pays off or whatnot, where hypothecation, if the borrower pays off the original debt, you may still have the hypothecation going. Because if your agreement doesn't say anything about it, they may just keep borrowing your money for X period of time. Yeah, I mean, and I think, and I think to your point, David, is, is part of the thought process has to be, what am I doing this for? Right. Mm -hmm. Am I doing this to am I doing it to scale my business and go buy more notes? At what point do I stop buying notes? At what point do I stop collateralizing against notes? Am I am I collateralizing against my performing notes so I can go buy 10 more notes? Right. So what's your future plan? So I would encourage any any newer investor, even seasoned investor, 
come up with a one-year plan, a three-year plan, and a five-year plan on what you want this business to be, because that's going to dictate whether you sell notes or hypothecate notes, right? I mean, that's how you, and generally both of them can allow you to scale your business. Um, but you got to have an idea of where you're going in order to make decisions now. We have one question regarding what happened if the borrower forecl gets foreclosed on with the seller and didn't tell you about it. Is there any way to get noticed that the foreclosure is happening? Uh, well, that's a good question, loaded question. In um, in that, if you have, if I'm in the partial note world, yeah, I, and there's an assignment of interest, uh, even if it's ten percent, if there's an assignment of interest in the note in the deed of trust, well, then now. I have an ownership of that note. So the foreclosure notice, in theory, I should be put on notice that it's going to be foreclosed. Um, the hypothecation, since nothing's filed of record, that's that's a little bit more problematic. And do you recommend doing hypothecation on wrap notes versus partials or selling a wrap note because of the issue of the original borrower with the pay, power of attorney situation? We're feeling that a hypothecation is probably a better suited thing because you don't want to transfer that note over and have to deal with the original rap, uh, subject to owner kind of thing. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, to me, I, there's no really no difference legally, in my opinion, as to what, what, you know, what may happen. I mean, I suppose they're kind of a little, it kind of is, but it, like I said at the start, it's a numbers game, in my mm -hmm. opinion, right? It's how much do you want now? Right. Mm -hmm. what, what is your business going to be like? How much would the note be sold for versus how much can you, you know, get as a loan from the investor on your performing assets? So uh, to me, I think you got to decide numbers first. Then, because again, if you have a good attorney, either one of them can, can be structured in a way that you're protected. Um, so I think you have to decide first uh, from a number standpoint what decision you want to make and then go from there. So this question was, why is negotiability important? I think it's the fact of figuring out what you as a buyer or you as a seller want in the note, in the deal to be noticed of, to make sure you cover everything. Um, it, it's easy to say cover everything. You don't know what everything is. Um, but as Nathan and I started with a note space, we didn't know what a launch was. Yeah. And you kind of learn, you make some mistakes and you ask your attorneys, is there anything I'm missing in this protection process? And they're going to do the best to protect you but there's no foolproof plan that, that things just come up. Um, people file BK and change ownerships and all kinds of stuff. Um, but yes. So when we do this kind of stuff, yeah. I was going to, sorry to interrupt David. I was wondering, yeah, no. wondering if that question for you, uh, they meant negotiability as in negotiating on the note sale, or if they meant negotiability as in the sense, in the legal sense, is it a negotiable note or a non-negotiable note? Stephen, if you can uh, comment back on there, I'll, I'll watch the feed for it um, if there's any question about that. Um, but yeah, so I want to make sure people understand when we're buying and selling notes, we're not going to buy at what we call par. Um, Sean, uh, Steve said legal sense. So yeah, that's always negotiable. Whatever agreement yeah. me and Nathan have yeah. is what we agree on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I think Stephen, I think it was his name. I mean, in Texas, so um, in the legal sense, uh, that is a that is a pretty big deal under the under the section three point two zero one of the Texas Business and Commerce Code. In order for it to be considered a negotiable instrument, um, it's got to be uh, money to be paid to the payor. It's got to be payable for a certain amount of time, and there can't be any other actor undertaking outside the payment of of the money. 
right? So if you don't satisfy the Texas Business and Commerce Code, then it's not considered a negotiable instrument. If it's not a negotiable instrument, then it's considered a non-negotiable note. Um, a non-negotiable note is then subject to common law rules versus statutory law, right? You're so, so when you're in the non-negotiable note world, the prices of those notes are significantly, significantly less. In my personal opinion, I wouldn't be purchasing non-negotiable notes, not really ever. So, uh, but that was a really good question, Steve. So is that like a, would that be like a HELOC? No, I mean, that's, that's probably still, I mean, that's probably, that's still probably negotiable. negotiable. It would be, I'll give you an example of what a non-negotiable note would be. Um, you got the, you've got the promise to pay, right? You've got the borrower, you've got the lender. And then in the note term, you have it is no term at all, right? So there's no uh, 30 years, there's no 10 years, there's no five years, there's no balloon payment, gotcha. right? Okay. There's no maturity date. It's just this indefinite period of time. That would be considered a non-negotiable note. I'll give you another example. <laughs> if you want another one. Um, <laughs> I've seen some investors put in these notes for, um, they put in these notes on like rehab loans and things like that. Well, they'll put in the note, they'll say, uh, you know, you, it's going to on payoff, it's going to, you got the interest rate, you've got, you know, whatever the maturity date. And then they say in the maturity date, you know, uh, owner to all or borrower uh, to assign interest in its LLC in connection with uh, this note is part of its payment, right? Like I'm going to acquire an equitable interest in an LLC as the lender. So that's an act. That's an act outside of the promise of money. So that would arguably make that note non-negotiable. So that's, these are concepts that are really boring, but for me, they're fun, which is why you need an attorney to look at them. So a couple quick things here. Uh, I want to remind everyone, it'd be side comment real quick. Uh, the DME recordings, we do have them on our website. So those who did not attend or did attend and want to rewatch the whole event, available on our website. Um, going back to it also is that when we're buying these notes, John had a question regarding, can you self-direct your IRA to buy a hypothecation note in your personal LLC? Meaning, sounds like to me he's trying to hypothecate to himself. In, in I would say direct yourself to your custodian, stuff like that. Um, I, I'm going to say that's probably self-dealing. Um, but I'm not going to be an attorney on that play. But uh, I mean, I would, I would tend to agree with you, David. I mean, you, you, you get, you got to go back to your the custodian on the account. You got to go back to the documents that you that you executed with your IRA, whichever come quest, whatever company it is. Yeah, you just can't sell deal. That's the worry I have with that. Is that if you're going to borrow money from yourself at fourteen percent, it's uh, kind of dangerous, right? Yeah, um, question, but probably not legal. A good question, yeah. uh, risky. I'm not yeah. sure. So I wanted to, for those who are looking to sell these things or buy these things, understand we're not going to buy it par, which is a definition word that we want to make sure you understand. It means 100% of UPB. Then if you have a loan at 12%, we're going to ask for a discount because of time value money. Uh, I'll put in the chat also a link to uh, a little chart that we put together to kind of get an understanding of if you're creating these notes, be sure you don't write these notes at four, five, six, seven, eight percent returns, uh, interest rates, because you literally can't um, sell them. Um, we have to discount so much. The chart I put in the chat shows you that kind of idea. So on top of making sure the interest rates high enough, the term, if you can get it lower, that's a great thing to, to get the most out of your note, but also make sure the collateral and the actual 
origination of the note is legally clear, which means we've had webinars on this. Make sure your RMLO and underwriting is being done. And if you're creating the stuff, make sure you follow the laws of Dodd-Frank, especially if there's an owner-occupant that you are following because we can't buy them. We literally can't buy them because it makes it really difficult for us to foreclose if we have to. So you got to be sure you're doing that. So um, one yeah. maybe slight clarification, we may be able to buy them, but we'd have to discount it even further because then yeah. we're going to have to fix it. Yes. And again, like we said, that costs time and money. So yeah. even if we could buy it, it's going to be at a lower price. And if you're willing to take the discount, then come talk to us. But yep. just realize that that's, that's a pretty major yeah. factor. Yeah. So the, yeah, it is. So the chart's a big numbers game, right? That I put together yeah. for you guys. I saw Lonio Day uh, list about six notes, all under 5% or 6%. And I said, listen, I'm going to buy these things at like 40 cents on a dollar, just not possible to get 11% yield. Yeah. So we're buying on yield. We're discounting on the yield feature and saying, what can we buy it at? It just doesn't make sense for you guys because banks are creating notes at seven. Why are you creating at five or six? It just doesn't make sense. And I get the fact you're worried about LTV. That's a byproduct of our concerns because really, first, we're concerned about what goes in our pocket. Yeah. LTV is a secondary feature. Um, Don't try but to yeah. compete with the banks. They'd, no. Yeah. Your borrower would have went to a bank if he could, he could. They couldn't. So make sure that you're charging the interest rate that matches that. It's trying. When it's we, like trying to compete with Walmart. You're going to lose. Yeah. Just don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you charge a little more interest rate because that borrower could not go to the bank. That's yeah. the feature. Is that borrower? If you're writing five percent notes, the borrower <laughs> should be able to go to the bank and get it. If they couldn't, I'm going to say the words "take advantage of." But so, Sean, what's what's the uh, what's the interest rate that would be considered usurious in Texas right now? Uh, anything over eighteen percent. So, so you've got some leeway there. So if you want yeah. to write a loan at 12%, go for it. You're, yep. you're going to be fine. Uh, we're going to be way more likely to buy that. And you're going to yep. be happy with the price. We're and buying. we can hypothecate at 15, right? Yep. Or 16 or 70, uh, up to 18. It makes sense for us, right? Now we're doing a couple mm -hmm. in Virginia right now at 17. I just got to make sure that yours this law protects me okay on that. And then finding a Sean out in Virginia to help me out in the, on the other side of it. So, and I hope that gentleman's listening right now. Uh, because we're looking to close that before the 15th, a bunch of uh, hypothecations on that. So we do these webinars not only to teach you guys, but to learn ourselves. Yeah. So um, we hope you guys continue to join us and continue to follow along as we bridge the gap between note buyers and note sellers. Um, we've been doing this for over 15, almost, I've been doing it for 13, Nathan's been 15 years. Yeah. But we want to bring people on like Sean on. If you have any additional questions before we close up here, please put in the chat. This again will be recorded. We'll be on YouTube. We'll be on our podcast. Uh, it'll also be on LinkedIn and Facebook on um, the recording. So I want to make sure if you have any questions for Sean, click the link, fill out the form, and we'll get over to Sean to answer specific questions on any kind of specific deals. Um, but keep all attorney, um, all accounting, CPA, tax things to those kind of people and custodians. So um, we're almost at the top of the hour. Uh, I'll let Nathan uh, finalize us and uh, yeah. we'll let the audience go. So just curious, Sean, we, we asked this to everybody who's on, we're always looking to the future. We're always trying to figure out, you know, trying to see what's coming down the pipe. Uh, it, with your experience and what you've, deals that you've been working on more lately, do you see any kind of patterns? Do you see anything changing coming up in the next six, 12 months? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a good question in that uh, I think it's going to get and, and has been and it's only going to get better, frankly, for for investors. Right. Anybody in the creative finance world, RAP, sub twos, uh, anybody in the note buying world. I mean, when you see these interest rates rising, um, people are forced to get more creative. Uh, it looks like, you know, you and David have been doing this a long time, you know, so you, you're just, just what you do. But but for a lot of people, even maybe some on this on this on this call. It's they've been forced to get in there because they started thinking, well, there's other ways I there's other ways I can make money. How am I going to figure that out? And it, with rising interest rates, I mean, you saw this in the 90s a bit. Um, with rising interest rates, you see an uptick in the amount of creative finance world. I can tell you personally through my title company, we have closed a significant more of subject to wrap seller finance transactions in the last year. Um, that we did probably the last three years. And it's because of the change in the real estate market. So, I mean, I'm, honestly, I'm pretty excited about it. So, and I'm excited that now creative financing, um, I've been on this crusade uh, to dispel the rumors and the, the negative stereotypes for creative financing for years. And I'm fine. I'm excited where I feel like it's finally getting to a place where even real estate agents are going, you know what? It ain't that bad, right? Yeah. Um, there's people with integrity in this business and, and I want to do business with that person. And, um, so that's where I see the market going. I think it's, it's only going to increase. Absolutely. Very interesting. So I'll, I'll answer Sean, uh, Susan's question real quick regarding this note prices change. If you have a season or non-season notes with or without third-party servicers, um, yes. Um, seizing notes have a little more risk to it. We want to show proof of ability to pay, even though they went through the underwriting process. Um, I would say that season notes, definitely third-party servicers. We encourage you to use third-party servicers. If you're not and you're self-servicing, make sure you follow all the rules required, meaning a monthly statement in the year stuff. But yes, there's a, there's a slight discount on that. Um, and also if you're writing land contracts versus mortgages, that's another factor. Uh, you can use the chart to see what the differences are. Um, and each note buyer, me and Nathan are not together. We're new, we have different companies. We just enjoy talking to each other. Um, we price things differently. So I would encourage you to reach out. Um, I, I believe our feed, you can go to our website and reach out to me and Nathan at any time uh, and ask those specific questions. So um, Sean, it was a pleasure having you on. I think yeah. uh, our phone call initially came across as both of us saying, I'm not sure if this is going to fit and ended up being a perfect fit. I, I, I couldn't have found a better guest for us to join in and explain the differences and maybe I'll help. Uh, I hope that people reach out to you, Sean, especially in Texas. I know Nick uh, is a big fan of you. And to worry about your wrapped notes and your and stuff like that, owner finance, subject twos, reach out to Sean. He's a great attorney down in Texas. Um, and if you're doing hypothecations, which most notes, I think is 80% of originating notes, owner finance notes is in Texas. Um, we'll buy owner finance hypothecations all day long. Uh, so feel free to reach out to us and uh, ask us questions. I appreciate you guys joining in. We're going to disconnect from everyone live and hold on to Sean for a few minutes. We appreciate everyone jumping in for the Friday afternoon. Thank you. Take care, everyone.